Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or about anything going on in your life that you'd like prayer for or biblical advice on. I'd love to speak with you and pray for you. Give me a call at 303-690-3000. Or you can text me at 720-336-0897. Again, that text line, 720-336-0897. I want to welcome everyone who's tuning in today on Grace FM in Colorado and Wyoming. Welcome to the program. We're so glad that you tuned in today. You're here in the show live. And we also want to welcome those of you who are listening on the East Coast on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland. We're so glad that you're with us too. And uh, just a reminder that you're hearing the program on a one-week delay. So just keep that in mind. But we would love for you to call in, and then you'll have the opportunity to tune in the following week, and you get to listen to yourself on the radio. So that'll be cool. We also want to welcome those who are listening on Truth FM in Tennessee and into some parts of North Carolina and Kentucky. So glad to see how uh, this show is being uh, used to reach people and to answer your questions and to pray for you all over the country. We also know that there are so many of you who listen online. So there are so many who listen on the uh, app. We have a mobile app that's really good. If you don't have that, definitely go get it for your phone or for your uh, tablet. You can just go to whatever app store you use for your device and just type in Grace FM, and you should should come right up, and you'll be able to download that app onto your device and then listen over the internet wherever you are, even anywhere in the world. So we would love for you to do that, and then you can keep up with this show or any other show that airs here on Grace FM. And remember that you can always go in your browser. You can just go uh, in your on your laptop or even in your um, you know, tablet or desktop or whatever you use, and just go in your browser to gracefm.com, and you can click the button to listen live, and you can listen there as well. So however you've tuned in today, we're so glad that you're with us. Love to hear from you. Again, this is a show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or things that are going on in your life. If you have a prayer request, we'd love to talk with you and pray for you. Give us a call. The number is 303-690-3000. It's 303 Or text us at 720-336-0897. Just a few words about myself. My name is Pastor Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church, which is in Longmont, Colorado. And I am your host every Monday here on Calvary Live. The past uh, week I was away. I was in Israel and uh, had an amazing time in Israel. I was there. A uh, group from our church, Whitefields, here in Longmont, was we teamed up with uh, another church, Calvary Chapel Brighton, and we took uh, 
group of 56 people to Israel, and it was just an amazing time. It was my first time visiting Israel, and I'll tell you a little bit about it as the show goes on, kind of in between callers. Um, but just a, a few words about the church I pastor. Whitefields meets in downtown Longmont. We're right at the intersection of Longs Peak Avenue and Kaufman Street. So that's just one block west of Main Street on Longs Peak Avenue, and it's in the northwest corner of Longs Peak and Kaufman. And it's really in the heart of the city here in Longmont, uh, really downtown. Uh, it's at the St. Vrain Memorial Building, which is a very central building here in Longmont. Some of you might know that it's right in front of the Memorial Building where all the parades and all that good stuff takes place here in Longmont. So really central location. If you know the city of Longmont or if you're in any of the surrounding towns or in Longmont proper, we would love for you to um, come and visit us and worship with us. Invite your friends. If you know somebody who's up here in Longmont, we would love for you to send them our way. You can find out more information about us online on our website, whitefieldschurch.com. So it's whitefieldschurch.com. And we meet on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. for worship and the word. We have a great worship team. We have a great children's ministry. And we love studying the scriptures verse by verse. We're currently studying through the epistle of James on Sunday mornings and uh, we'd love for you to join us for that and worship with us and study the word with us again check us out at whitefieldschurch.com that's whitefieldschurch.com or if you just want to come on Sunday then the address is 700 Longs Peak Avenue Longmont Colorado so we'd love for you to join us you can also hear our ministry on Grace FM here every weekday at 2:30 p.m. mountain time that is 2.30 p.m. Mountain Time. The show is called Life in the Field, and that is an allusion to how we are living our lives on mission with God in His mission field. So that's weekdays at 2.30 p.m., and you can also hear us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. If for some reason you cannot make it to church, then tune in here to Grace FM, and you'll hear our studies Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We have a caller already on the line, so let's go to Jay in Denver, Colorado. Hi, Jay. Welcome to the program. Hey, man. How are you doing? Doing great. Um, so I have a question about, uh, I have a friend who claims to be a Christian, but I, uh, I don't think is because she doesn't believe the Bible. And so, um, I'm looking for some resources, maybe like if you've preached a sermon or something specifically about how we can trust the Bible and like proving that it's the word of God and everything. Yeah. So I actually have, in fact, I've done a did a series last year. I'm going to do another series this year in which we delved into that topic. And so I'll tell you how to find that sermon. But if you also, after we get off the phone, if you give your email address to the producer, then I will shoot you an email with a link to it as well. But I want the other listeners who are listening in to be able to find it as well. So I'll kind of walk you through how to find it. You just go to our website, whitefieldschurch.com and go to the sermons tab. And in there, you're going to go to series, and the series is called The Trouble Is. So I did a whole series based on, like, the things that people say that are kind of hurdles for them in fully embracing Christianity, right? And so one of those is, um, you know, the trouble is, can I really trust the Bible? And so we did a, a whole uh, sermon on that and went into some of the reasons why you can trust the Bible, as well as some further resources that you can use and go into. Um, there's a lot of resources out there on this topic. I got to tell you that. Maybe I would uh, also say that some of our listeners who are listening right now, 
If you know some good books that you'd recommend on that subject, why don't you text them to us, and I'll read them over the air. So our text line is 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897. And so, again, for that sermon, uh, I'm going to have you give your email address to our producer, and then I'll email you. But go to our website, whitefieldschurch.com, Go to sermons, and then you can uh, filter by series. Go to the series called The Trouble Is, and you'll notice one called The Trouble Is the Bible. And I, in that sermon, I just spent, you know, better part of 45 minutes talking about why we can trust the Bible. And then we even did some follow-up videos for that on our YouTube channel about uh, further proofs for why you can trust the Bible. Cool, cool. Uh, would you also be able to maybe give me like a few quick like facts or anything that I can just remember so that when I'm talking to people I can just remember what you're telling me and, and share with them, just like quick little references? Yeah, absolutely. And th- let me tell you um, another resource, a good website that's going to be something you can just like browse, and, um, and that is called alwaysbeready.com. So alwaysbeready.com. And in that, uh, you're going to notice he has one about evidences for the Bible. And he'll have like a list on just the side of the the page. And you go down there and he'll give you some reasons why you can trust the Bible. But here's a couple that I'm going to tell you just like you asked. Uh, One of those is archaeological evidence. Okay, so like I just mentioned uh, earlier in the show, I don't know if you heard it because you're on hold, but I mentioned I just came back from Israel. I arrived on Saturday night back home. Uh, we were there for 10 days. And one of the things that you see in Israel is that archaeology, you know, which is a pretty young science, you know, it's only been going on for, let's say, a couple hundred years max. And really, it's really picked up in the last, let's say, 150 years. And in that time, what they've done, especially in Israel, is that there were a lot of people like in the 1700s and early 1800s who really called into question the Bible. And they said, you know, the Bible talks about all this stuff, but there's no archaeological evidence for it. You know, one of the big things was the Hittites. They said there's no proof that there's ever been a Hittite civilization. The Bible talks about it. Another one was in the Gospel of John, it mentions this particular pool in the old city of Jerusalem. And they said, well, that pool clearly doesn't exist. And as they've done archaeology, they've dug d- deeper and deeper. And every archaeological find they make, basically, in Israel confirms the Bible and casts Uh, away all the doubts that people had formerly against the Bible. So one of those is archaeological proof. As archaeology has been done, there have been zero things which have contradicted the Bible, and actually all of them have uh, affirmed that the Bible is, in fact, telling the truth. Another big one is fulfilled prophecy. So the Bible contains a lot of prophecy. You might even say two-thirds of it is predictive prophecy. And many of those prophecies of that two-thirds have already been fulfilled. Now, there's a big chunk that haven't yet been fulfilled because those are related to the return of Jesus and the end of all things. But there are a ton that were fulfilled. And even if you run the numbers, which many people have, on what the probability are of, or what the probability is, let's say, for example, just about the prophecies about Jesus being fulfilled, then... um, it's really going to, you know, it's it's beyond really any chance that it could have happened on accident, you know. 
So, because you could imagine that people would come along and say, oh, well, I'm the Messiah, this and that, and then try to fulfill certain prophecies. But the ability to fulfill all of them, as Jesus did, is just beyond the realm of chance. So, archaeological evidence, fulfilled prophecy. Uh, let's see, what are some others? Uh, we could say the internal consistency of the Bible is a really big one. Because the Bible, as you probably know, is not one book. It's actually a collection of 66 different books written by 40 different authors over the course of about 1,700 years. It was written on three different continents, and it was written in uh, three different languages. And what's incredible about it is that these authors, most of them never knew each other, never met each other, and oftentimes had never read each other's writings. And yet there is this incredible consistency and that um, is a proof of the fact that these words and these texts are inspired by God and written through people. Um, but it shows that God himself has inspired these things. So those are three quick ones to keep in mind. Archaeological evidence, fulfilled prophecy, and internal consistency. And then I'm going to tell you just again, I'll repeat those resources. You can go and listen to that sermon that I mentioned to you, The Trouble is the Bible. And then the other one is alwaysbeready.com is a great resource by a good friend of mine, uh, Charlie Campbell. Cool. Sounds good, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, Jay. Thanks for calling in. God bless you. All right, bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts here on the air. Let's go to our next caller, Mary in Pennsylvania. Hi, Mary. Welcome to the program. Mary. Okay, it looks like we might have dropped Mary, so let's go to Bob in Mead, Colorado. Hey, Bob, welcome hey, to the Pastor. program. Hey, Pastor. Go ahead. No, oh, I was just saying hi. How are you doing, Bob? Hi, I'm good. How are you doing, Pastor Nick? Doing good. I had a question about Matthew 11, 11 through 15. I don't get it, don't understand it. Maybe you could expound on that a little bit. Okay, so um, I'll just read the text, and then maybe... Uh, you can make clear yeah, what, what it is that you're confused about. But I'll, I'll read it to you. It says this, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from now the days of John the Baptist, uh, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah, who is to come. He who has ears, let him hear. Yeah, you have to explain that whole thing. What violence and, and what's going on there? Sure. I'm just going to pull up something real quick for my own yeah. reference. It um, doesn't seem to fit. You know, it explains who John the Baptist was, but what is this violence and shaking? And... The violence part is particularly what you're uh, curious yes. about? Yes. Okay. Yep. Let me, I'm just pulling up some notes that I have on this section real quick. Yeah. Well, and, you know, you talk back about, uh, you know, Jesus and talk about John the Baptist in the uh, prison, and you wonder, you know, how is that all tied together? 
Okay, sure. Yeah, it sounds like a couple different issues uh, that you you have questions about. Okay, so just I'll, I'll start with the easy ones. How about that? And then we'll move into the the uh, more complicated one. Because really, that that text there about the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violence take it by force. Uh, this is uh, a matter of you know quite a lot of debate, but I I do have an opinion on it. But let me start with the easier ones. Um, you know, for example, with John. So that's really important, what it says about John. That says that all the law and the prophets prophesied until John. That's verse 13. That's really important. What it's saying is that John is the last of the Old Testament prophets. So though John is found in the New Testament, in our New Testament, right, he still belongs to the Old Covenant in, the, in the, that sense, right? So Jesus introduces the New Covenant. Jesus brings the kingdom of heaven. He introduces it into this world. Um, and, and so John belongs to the prior, uh, let's use uh, the word dispensation. Okay, so um, John really being, you know, belonging to the law and the prophets, the Old Testament. Um, but of course, that, that isn't to say that he's preaching a different gospel at all or a different way of salvation. It's just that John, along with the prophets before him, pointed forward to Jesus, whereas the New Testament writers after Jesus, of course, are pointing backwards to Jesus, Jesus being the epicenter of the whole thing. And what's really important about verse 14, where it says, if you're willing to receive it, he is Elijah to come. This is a fulfillment of two prophecies which are found in the book of Malachi. We just did a really great study uh, earlier this year in the months of January and February at our church in which we looked through, did kind of like a, a speed read, so to say, a speed study of the Old Testament prophets where we um, you know, took a prophet a week and did a biographical look at the prophets, but we also looked at their message. And uh, one of the great ones we did was Malachi. It was the last one. And if you read through Malachi, it's just three chapters, but there are two uh, prophecies there about how Elijah will come. And if you look at, there's actually three references to it in the New Testament where Jesus says that John has come in the spirit of Elijah. So it doesn't mean that John is Elijah reincarnated. What it means is that he's come in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And he's the fulfillment of that Malachi text. Uh, where it says that those born of women, there's no one greater than John the Baptist. Uh, what he's saying is that John was great. But again, he was not born under the new covenant. Uh, he lived and died before the completion of Jesus' work on the cross in the empty tomb. And therefore, he didn't enjoy the benefits of the new covenant. So basically, what Jesus is saying is that those who will uh, be part of this new covenant relationship with God will be greater in the kingdom of heaven than John, who was the greatest of those born among women, if that makes sense. Yeah, that, now, that kind of makes sense. Now here comes the hard part. Okay, let's do the hard part. Okay, Jesus says, uh, he makes this reference to violence, right? He says, the king of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Okay, so this is a reference to the intensity of the spiritual warfare surrounding the ministry of Jesus. But also, I believe it is a reference to the intensity required to take hold of the kingdom of heaven. So what he's, I believe he's encouraging us to be those who don't passively receive the kingdom of heaven, but those who uh, take hold of it um, with intensity, I guess you could say. I, that would be the best way I could, I could put it for you. Um, I guess, in the easiest way. So let's put it this way. Um, God's kingdom is founded on God's work on our behalf, but God's work will always produce a response in it. 
uh, and so, or response in us. So the kingdom will not be received passively. And so I, I believe the whole point here is this, that it's saying, if you want to take hold of the kingdom, do everything that depends on you. And, and now I, I say that, uh, understanding that um, some people might take that the wrong way. Because some people might hear that and say, oh, well, so I thought that all I have to do is just believe, and God does all the work, and I just receive his finished work. Well, that's true. But there's a really important point here, and we just studied this this past week in uh, James. So uh, our worship pastor taught this past Sunday, because I was just coming back from Israel, and he taught this passage in James. It's, you know, very, um, yeah. causes a lot of people a lot of consternation, right? Because he says, yeah. you know, uh, what good is your faith if it doesn't have works? Can that faith save you? And what James is really pointing out here is that there are a lot of people who claim to have faith, but their faith is, you might call it counterfeit, like it, it's not the real thing. How do you know if it's real? Well, he says, then you look at the, the works, and ultimately God is the one who's going to decide. But works, good works are going to be the fruit of a living faith. And uh, we do see this over and over in the Bible, right? And, and here's what we see, that at the end of the day, Salvation is based on God's work for us, which we receive by faith. But true and living faith will produce in us the uh, drive, let's say, to do everything that depends on us to take hold of the kingdom of heaven. So we could ask this question. Does God do everything to save us? And the answer is unequivocally yes. Absolutely, he does everything to save us. Otherwise, it wouldn't be salvation. It would be us saving ourselves. And yet, he tells us at the same time to do everything that we can to take hold of him. And I think one of the greatest parables that really draws out this, um, this tension, or we might call it a paradox, but it's a beautiful paradox. It's not one that should bother us, is Matthew 13. This is one of my favorite parables. And, uh, and after this, I'll be done talking. But I, I do <laughs> love this parable, and so I have to share it with you. So it's one of my go-to passages when I preach uh, elsewhere. Here's what it says, uh, Matthew thirteen forty-four: The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up, and then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. <clears throat> okay, so check this out. Here's the question. Here, let me just lay it out for you. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. So we have a couple elements in this, in this parable. There's a treasure, there's a field, and there's a man. Okay, there's a treasure, there's a field, and there's a man. Uh, the, the question is, what does the treasure represent? What does the field represent? And, what does, and who is the man in the story? Now, a really common interpretation of this is to say that the kingdom of heaven is itself the treasure, and therefore... Uh, the field, right, is, is where it is hidden. Um, that yep. seems to be kind of overlooked, I think, in this interpretation yeah. of what the field represents. And then the man, of course, uh, because we are egocentric creatures for the most part, we tend to uh, think that the man is ourselves. And we say, well, the meaning of this parable is that I must do everything that depends on me in order to take hold of the treasure, which is Jesus and his salvation and a relationship with God. Uh, is that an incorrect interpretation? Well, not necessarily, but I don't believe it's the primary interpretation. And I'll give you the reason why. Because the prior parable right before this one was the parable of the weeds, uh, the tares and the weeds, which 
being in Israel, uh, that was another thing that really just um, stood out to me so much was how many tares and how much wheat there are and how they uh, actually are mixed together in the fields just on the side of the road. That, that being said, he says in verse 38 of Matthew, the field is the world. So then let's go back to our parable. There's a treasure, there's a field, and there's a man. Well, if the field is the world, then who is the man? Well, I would suggest this, that the field is the world. The man who buys the field is Jesus, who gives everything to purchase the world in order to take hold of the treasure. And therefore, the treasure in the parable is you. It's just like in Hebrews chapter 12, where it says that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross bearing its shame. Uh, why? So that he could be together with you. So I would say this is the message of the gospel, that Jesus has come to you. He, he sees you as such a treasure, such a value, that he has given everything in order to purchase the world so that he might take hold of you. On the other hand, I think the other interpretation, while not the primary interpretation, is also correct. And so here's how I would put it. There's a tension, there's a paradox here. On the one hand, Jesus is the one who has given everything to take hold of you. But it's also true that you should be willing, therefore in response, to give everything to take hold of him. So that's all, that's all I got for you. I, I, never, I never heard that before, but that makes a lot of sense, too. And that kind of explains a little bit about the violence of the shaking. It's, you know, he came down and rescued us. And we need to grab a hold and do whatever we need to do. Well, thank yeah. you for your time. That was great, Nick. Thank you. Oh, I appreciate it. God bless you. All God right, bless bye-bye. you, too. Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church, taking your calls and texts on the air today. We are coming up on our break in three minutes' time, but let's take one more caller before the break. Let's go to Bianca in Aurora, Colorado. Hi, Bianca. Welcome to the program. Hi. How are you doing? I'm not sure how quick or how much time my question will need, but... Let's give it a shot. What's up? My question is, if you have any resources and any pointers you can give me on witnessing to Muslims, because although, of course, my heart is for the Jewish people, I have been, because of the ride service I use, there's been a lot of Muslims I've been encountering, so I'm just wondering what there is out there, as long as it's not books, because I just can't read books, but if it's articles or anything on audio, yeah, or okay. even YouTube videos. Yeah, I'm sure there's a ton on YouTube. Um, here's what I would tell you. I read a great book uh, years ago, and I'll just tell you a little bit of my story. And, and hey, if this goes over our break, we'll just uh, continue on the other side of the break. But, um, you know, early in my ministry, uh, early 2000s, I worked in Hungary for uh, several years working in a, and I started out working in a refugee camp. This was right after 9-11, and we had about 2,000 uh, Afghan refugees in this um, refugee camp that I worked in in Hungary. And we shared the gospel with these people, and we saw so many of them convert to Christianity. And Sorry, I'm I'm fighting a cough here. 
Um, <laughs> and so we saw so many of them convert to Christianity. And our method was quite simple. Here's all we did is we went into these people, we befriended them, we spent time talking with them, we offered them to read the New Testament in their own language. And here's why that's so powerful, because actually, according to uh, their own doctrine, they believe in the New Testament. They, they hmm. believe, but here's the problem. They believe that it has been altered and that it's not trustworthy. <laughs> and so here's where I would begin with you is that they respect Jesus and they respect the New Testament. And so I would tell you that um, reach out to them on the basis of the New Testament and talk to them about Jesus because they respect him. And I would just start with this. You believe that the New Testament is true and, and maybe do this. Well, here's the things the New Testament teaches about Jesus, and here's how they contradict with your, you know, Quranic teachings about Jesus. And, um, and so the question is, can you trust the New Testament? And if you can trust the New Testament, then you should, and you should believe what it says about Jesus. I think that's a great place to start. We're going to have to go to our break now, so I'm going to have to let you go. But thank you, Bianca, for that call, and God bless you. You're listening to Calvary Live. The number to call is 303-690-3000. And we'll be right back with you after two minutes time. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon and welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. The number to call is 303-690-3000, or text us at 720-336-0897. Again, the text line is 720-336-0897. Before we go to our next caller, let me take the opportunity to invite you. If you are in the Longmont, uh, Colorado area, or if you are in any of the surrounding uh, communities around Longmont, we'd love to have you join us on Easter Sunday. We're going to have services, two services on Easter Sunday at 8.45 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. And at our 8.45 service, we're going to have nursery uh, provided, so that's uh, birth to two years old, but at our 1030 service, we'll have a full children's ministry. So that'll be birth all the way up through eighth grade. And uh, we would love to have you join us for Easter service as we celebrate the glorious hope that we have because Jesus not only died for our sins, but he resurrected from the dead so that we could have eternal life. So those Easter services, it's going to be April 21st, this uh, coming Easter, and the service times are 8.45 and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to come. We'd love for you to invite a friend, and we would love for you to bring someone with you. I heard some statistics that said that Easter and Christmas Eve are the two times a year when most people who don't attend church said, and the numbers were staggering, it was around like 80% of people who don't generally attend church said that they would attend church if a friend or family member invited them to come along with them to their church. And so that is a golden opportunity for you. It is like shooting fish in the barrel. It's almost too easy. So just pick somebody or a lot of somebodies and go to church on Easter Sunday. It is a great opportunity, and it is truly the central 
moment in our faith when Jesus resurrected from the dead. And if you are in Longmont or the surrounding area, then do come visit us at Whitefields Community Church, our website, whitefieldschurch.com, and our Easter services are at 8.45 and 10.30 a.m. on Easter Sunday. Let's go to our next caller, who is Ken in Baltimore, Maryland. Hi, Ken. Welcome to the program. Hi, Pastor Nick. I enjoy your program. It's wonderful, and I I just uh, enjoy your insight. And I had a question about Romans eight, uh, you know, chapter eight, verse four. Okay. Where where Saul, you know, being a Pharisee, uh, converted, follows you know Yeshua, Yeshua as the Messiah. Yes. Has been converted. Uh, it seems to me like he's saying that we don't need to throw the Torah out the law out on that okay. verse. Uh, there seems to be a myth amongst Christians that that we're no longer to follow the law at all. Mm. I'm real confused about that verse. Okay. Uh, I, I love this verse, and I would love to talk to you about it. So let's get right into it. Um, it's in Romans chapter 8, and we're going to remember the context. So I'm going to read to you these two verses, and then we're going to remember the context, and, uh, and then we're going to talk about this. So it says this, for what God, or sorry, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Okay, so... Um, Here's what Paul's saying, and let's remember the context. The context, this is coming right off of Romans 7. What Paul says in Romans 7, is the law bad? And he says, absolutely, it is not bad. No, it's not. But the problem is that I am weak. And so, in other words, I am unable to keep the law perfectly. Now, you might remember when the law was given back in Exodus 20 through 22, then uh, at the end of that, and I believe it's Exodus 22, it might be 23, I don't have it in front of me, but uh, I taught that section a while ago and I loved teaching this section about the law because it's so interesting. In chapter 19, here's what happens. is The people, uh, God says, hey, I'm going to give you the law. And the people say, yes, we want your law. We're going to do everything that's in the law. And then God says, okay, well, wait, let me tell you what it is first before we enter into the covenant. And so God gives them the law in chapter 20, starting with the Ten Commandments, and he gives them all the other laws that go into it. And then at the end of that section, God says, okay, you've heard the law. Now, what do you guys think? Is this something you can do? And they say with so much confidence, absolutely, we will do everything that is written in the law. And God says basically like, are you sure? And they're like, yeah, we're super sure. And he says, okay. So they enter into this covenant and you remember that they cast the blood of the offering onto the people. And what that symbolizes that the people are essentially saying that, and, and I think they actually do say, they say, let this blood be upon us if we do not do everything that is written in the book of the law. And so what they're doing is they're entering into a covenant with God in which they're saying, we will keep your law. And if we don't, we will deserve to die. And so what Paul's saying is, he's saying the law is perfect and good. There's absolutely nothing wrong with the law. However, what's wrong with the law is me. In other words, it's not a problem with the law. There's a problem with me. I cannot keep the law. And therefore, and this is the point, I cannot be justified before God on the basis of the law. And so really, here's what it comes down to. What Paul's saying in Romans chapter 8 is that 
For a Christian, our relationship to the law fundamentally changes in Jesus. No longer do we relate to the law as the means by which we can be justified before God, but now we relate to the law differently. Now this is where I'm in agreement with you, Ken, where I say that I think it is wrong for Christians to have a negative view of the law. I think it's wrong for Christians to have a negative view of anything that smells to them of rules or commandments. Hey, guess what? The Bible's full of commandments. Even the New Testament's full of commandments. Obedience is not a bad word. In fact, obedience is the way by which we have fellowship with God. But this is really important. Obedience is the means by which we have, you know, it's, a, it's our expression of love to God. Remember what Jesus said? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You are my friends if you do what I say. So in other words, obedience is really important to Jesus. But obedience is not the means by which we earn God's favor or God's love or, or God's salvation, nor is it the means by which we make ourselves righteous before God. And that in itself constitutes the fundamental difference between Christianity and every other philosophy and religion in the world. Every other philosophy and religion in the world says if you try hard enough and if you do enough, then God will accept you and you can work your way up. Christianity says there is, there is no way that you could ever do that, so therefore God has done it for you. However, the way that we now respond, in other words, we obey not in order to justify ourselves, we obey because we are justified in Christ. And so here's how I like to put it, is that um, our relationship to the law changes. We don't cast the law out. We don't view it as a bad thing. Paul never views the law as a bad thing. But he views trying to justify yourself by the law as a bad thing and as impossible. So how do we relate to the law? There, there are a couple ways. For example, the good ways to relate to the law in light of the fact that we have been redeemed by Jesus are that we relate to the law as, let's call it a playbook by which we can please God. And, and I guess I would use this example to illustrate this. For example, I know that my wife likes it if I do the dishes. And so I can do the dishes from two different motivations. I can do the dishes on the one hand as a means by which I am trying to manipulate my wife in or, order to make her love me or in order to make her give me something that I want, right? In other words, oh, if I do this, then she'll owe me. Or I can do the dishes uh, as a way of saying, I love my wife and I just want to do something which will make her bring her joy. Now, here's what some Christians do, and, and here's where I'm in agreement with you, Ken. They'll say, well, I don't want to be legalistic, therefore I will never do the dishes again so that my wife will never ever think that I'm manipulating her. Well, that, uh -huh. wouldn't, that wouldn't be very smart, would it? That would just be <laughs> awful for you to stop doing the dishes because your wife likes it if you do the dishes. How about you start doing the dishes for the right reason instead of doing the dishes for the wrong reason instead of just throwing out the baby with the bathwater? And so um, that's really where we're at. So the law, you know, we have Psalm 119. This is the longest chapter in the Bible. And the whole psalm is about how great God's law is. And, and so, here, you know, just so you know, Ken, here's the, here are the, uh, you know, I guess technical terms. On the one hand, you, you think of it like a ditch, er, two ditches on the side of the road, right? So if you've ever driven a place where it rains a lot, you'll have a road. On both sides, there will be a ditch. Now, you don't want to drive into either of those ditches. Now, on the ditch on the one side is 
what we call legalism. Legalism is when you are trying to earn God's favor or God's blessings or God's righteousness, right, justification on the basis of your actions. On the other hand, the other ditch on the other side of the road is just as bad, and that is called antinomianism. It's the opposite of legalism, but it's actually based on the same fundamental principle as legalism. Antinomianism means that you, anti means against, nomianism refers to the law. So nom is the root word for law. So it's somebody who is against the law, basically views law, rules, commandments as bad. They aren't bad, they're very good. However, how you use them matters a lot, right? It'd be like asking, hey, are knives bad? Well, I don't know. It depends what you want to do with it. Do you want to stab somebody or do you want to cut some bread for your children, right? It, the problem isn't uh, with the knife. The problem is with what you do with it. Same thing with the law. The law itself is good. The question is, what are you trying to do with it? If you're trying to justify yourself before God on the basis of it, then that is absolutely wrong. If you are, however, using it as a playbook for pleasing God, or let's say another way that you can use the law perfectly and, and good is for you to look at it and see how good it is and to give glory to God because it's his good law. Another way is that you look at the law and say, Jesus fulfilled the law where I have failed to fulfill the law. Jesus has fulfilled it on my behalf. Therefore, I give even more glory to him. So uh, does that answer your question there, Ken? It sure does. Thank you very much, Pastor Nick. Have a wonderful evening. Awesome. God bless you. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. Let's go to Chris in Arizona. Hey, Hi, what's Chris, going on, Pastor Nick? How you doing, sir? Doing well. What's up? Well, I got a uh, more of a, uh, a statement here that I think that's going to bring that should bring hope for all listeners that are going through the same struggles as, as families do. Um, we're a Christian family. We have we're a blended family. We have adult children. We also have teenage children together. We've both been married before. Um, within the last year, my wife has suffered a uh, loss of her mother. Um, we have a teenage son who's on opioids, um, been arrested many times, and he's not even 16 yet. Um, we have a daughter who was abused by her other family. Um, just so many things. We have domestic violence in the home that had occurred before. Um, therapy on with everybody, mental illness, but the word hope, you know, um, because each of these things are just, just, we're getting sifted, you know, and just now the, the way the times are right now in this culture of everybody looking at screens to every, from driving to being at home. I mean, just inundated with what's going on on the screen, you know, and so much family time that's being taken away. Um, that people just are not personal anymore. You know, I was listening to your exhortation on, on the last caller and just listening to, like, you know, with the positive stimulus about washing dishes and how my wife would love doing that, you know, that I did that. And then you look at the negative stimulus of that, you know, the stimuli of, well, I'm not going to do it because I don't want her to think this, you know, I'm manipulating her. And mm -hmm. like, it's weird that people actually would think that, you know, like I want to do something negative instead of positive, you know, and it's easier to do things that are that are good, you know. And... I just, you know, the things that we're struggling with and, uh, you know, knowing what the Word says, we know that. I mean, it's not something that we don't practice. It's just when we're in it and we're in the battle every day, you know, we, sometimes we feel like we're we're losing that that struggle, you know, and just getting sifted out and just beaten down every day. As soon as you wake up in the morning, you know, we, we pray and, and 
we hit the ground and within minutes something said or something's done and it's just the day's ruined you know it's just and how we're looking at things with our we, we base our actions on in emotion on emotions rather than our actions on what's going on you know and I just I was just I, I think it would be a good platform just to to bring a prayer and hope to to other families that are going through similar issues in, in, across the country I mean if you have a a good platform with, with Grace FM that they can reach out and hear this and say, you know what, that's like my family. And who, who's praying for us? Do we talk to other people? We don't, some, sometimes people tend not to um, put their business out there because of gossips within the church. And uh, they, they choose to just keep it within themselves, you know, and, and try to battle it themselves. And we need that fellowship, but trusting other people because we've been hurt before, you know? Okay. So uh, what can I do for you, Chris? Did you... Is it, can I pray for you, or is there a question? You know, I, I think it would be. I think my question would be this: What can what can a man who's supposed to lead his home, who is struggling with different battles like this as well, what can they do, literally, just to start off fresh? I mean, we're we're talking, you know, just getting one on one with with the Lord, um, hitting hitting hard. What can men do to step up to take charge of a home that is just running amok? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, yeah, that's really one of those things like what's the first step, right? Let's just do it. Yep. Let's just listen. Bare knuckles. Let's stop yeah. messing around. Let's stop and let's deal with this. Yeah. So, you know, here's what I would suggest. I would suggest, of course, the, the, that man, whoever that is, I think there are probably tons of people listening who would uh, this would apply to. But I think that that man needs to begin by, you know, purposing in their heart, they're going to have a relationship with the Lord. The next step would be they're going to, you know, practice spiritual disciplines themselves, and then they're going to bring that into their family. And I would say that the best way to do this is that they need to have some sort of family meeting where they draw a line in the sand and say, hey, uh, look, I, I, and I would, I would even say this, like, look, you know what? I, I might have been a passive leader in the past. I might have been a uh, failed leader in certain ways in the past, and I apologize for that. I apologize for anything I've done or, or maybe my inconsistency to lead in the past. But from today, um, here are the things that are going to characterize our home. And I would say lead courageously, but here's may, maybe just as important as courageously, lead consistently. So courageous, courage and consistency, but also I would say go on record with your family, with your kids. Because I know for myself that when I go on record about things, I don't like to, uh, you know, be the guy who goes on record and then um, has to, you know, basically doesn't fulfill what I say. And so I think that's really important to go on record because it keeps us accountable that we said we're going to do something, therefore we should follow through. So I'd say go on, go on record with your family. Have a family meeting, if at all possible. And then be courageous and be consistent. I think that having family devotions, setting some standards in your home, we're going to go to church, like that's what we're going to do. Uh, these kind of things are really important. So I would say, uh, first of all, yeah, lead. Uh, apologize for failures. Be really open. Be really humble. But be courageous and consistent. Those are my uh, words of advice. I appreciate that. Men need to man up. 
let me pray for you and your family and, and those listening who can relate to that. So Let's do Lord, it. I pray for Chris. I thank you for his desire to lead his family well. They're facing so many issues. And um, Lord, my heart breaks along with them to hear about the son who is on opioids and, um, and the daughter who's been abused. Lord, I pray that you would help Chris to lead courageously, consistently, and humbly in his family. And I pray for those who are listening as well who say, you know, that's me. I'm, I'm dad and I haven't been doing uh, as well as I could have been. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us by the strength of your spirit. Remember what Ephesians tells us, that we can be strong in the strength of the Lord and in the power of your might, not in our own might. Thank you for your strength in our life, Lord. May you fill us with your spirit and enable us to lead courageously, consistently, and humbly, just like Jesus. And we pray that in in your name, Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you, sir. I appreciate you. God bless you. All right. Bye-bye. You listen to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts here on the air. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or text us at 720-336-0897. We have three open lines right now, uh, which means all open lines. So if you want to get in a call before the end of the show, now would be a good time to do that. Once again, the number 303-690-3000, or text us 720-336-0897. Now, I mentioned at the beginning of the show that if I had some time between callers, I'd tell you a little bit about my recent trip to Israel. So this is my first time going to Israel. I've wanted to go for a long time, but... Uh, this was my first opportunity to go. We went with a, our, a group from our church here in Whitefields in Longmont, and we went to the um, we went together with a group from Calvary Chapel Brighton, and uh, the pastor there, Paul Bhutan, and I we split the teaching. So what we would do is we go to different uh, biblical sites, and uh, we would teach the Bible there, and it was amazing. Uh, it was an incredible trip, and I'll tell you. Here's why I think that every Christian should try to go to Israel. Now, I probably didn't, I would say this. I was excited to go to Israel before I went. I thought it would be valuable and helpful, but I don't think I realized how valuable and helpful it would be until I was there on the ground and saw things with my own eyes. Uh, And here's why I think it's important for every Christian to try to go to Israel. Because what makes Christianity unique is that amongst all world religions and philosophies, Christianity is based on not just ideas or abstract concepts. Christianity is based on historical events, which happened at particular places, on particular dates and times, real places with real people, and they either happened or they didn't. Our whole faith is based on historical events, which either happened or they didn't. And if they didn't happen, then our faith is in vain. But if they did happen, it changes everything. And what you see when you go to Israel is you see that this isn't just a fairy tale book about Neverland. This is a book about a real place, and everything that the Bible says about it is absolutely true archaeologically and historically. Furthermore, uh, all of the evidence about Jesus is backed up by you know history, archaeology, and the things that it says about who he was, how the church formed. It's all backed up, and you can go to those very places where those things took place. You can stand there, and you can see it for yourself. I'll tell you, the most impactful thing I saw in Israel was on our very last day there. We went and saw 
Golgotha, the place of the skull, the, the very hill on which Jesus was crucified. It's now in the, uh, it's in the Muslim neighborhood uh, in East Jerusalem. And the front of it is in front of it is a bus depot, and on top of it is a cemetery. It is uh, it's not a memorial, but it is the place where Jesus was crucified. And I just stood there and looked at this place, and you know I've been a Christian now for quite a while, and just standing there in that place was one of the most impactful moments of my life, looking upon that place where Jesus was crucified for me. And so I, I uh, had such a great time. I look forward to going back. And I would encourage you, if you haven't been to Israel, I'll make it a priority to go there at some point in your life. So earlier in the show also, I asked you for some suggestions um, about books that kind of show that the Bible is trustworthy. So here are some of the suggestions we got. Someone texted in uh, with Lee Strobel's books, a ca uh, The Case for Faith. And the case for Christ are very good in that regard. Another one that this person mentioned was Josh McDowell's book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, and Evidence That Demands a Verdict too. that those both uh, deal with the fact of why we can trust the Bible. So thank you for texting those in. We had one question that I wanted to address, uh, and then we'll see if we have time for our last caller. But someone asked this question and said this, um, I would like some clarification on the limitations of the enemy, i.e. Satan. Satan does not share the attributes of God in that Satan is not omniscient, omnipresent, nor omnipotent. Yet I often read study books which write about Satan as if he is. Am I correct that while Satan might understand man's ways, weaknesses, and propensities, he is not equal with God? Why then do some talk or teach as if Satan is personally involved in our specific circumstances and can know our thoughts? Again, I am not seeking to uh, diminish the very real battle of spiritual darkness that we fight. Um, and this person's name is Mickey. Okay, Mickey, uh, thank you for that email. And Mickey, I, I'm with you on this. I think that sometimes people give Satan a little too much credit. And you know, I've often joked that for some people, they make it out to seem as if there's a kind of spiritual tug-of-war battle going on between God and his uh, forces of good and Satan and his forces of evil, and Satan's almost winning. And so they would tell you, well, you better get on God's side and help us tug this rope or else Satan's going to win, you know, as if God's on the verge of losing. And I think that that is obviously ridiculous. Um, you know, one of the key verses in this regard is in Colossians, and another one is in Second Corinthians, but basically they talk about how Jesus has not only defeated the forces of the enemy, but he has humiliated them, and he has led them in a procession to humiliate them. And what that's a reference to is how in a uh, ancient battle, what would often happen, let's say like Alexander the Great or the Roman Empire, they would go into a place they would fight a battle, and then if they conquered that place or they won the battle, they would take the people of that place captive or the soldiers captive. They would strip them naked and they would march them back to their city of Rome, for example. They would walk them through the streets of Rome as the ultimate humiliation, and people would throw tomatoes at them and mock them. And he's saying that that is what God has done with Satan and his forces, that he has not only defeated them, but he has humiliated them. Now, how has God humiliated them? I'll tell you how. Think about the book of Job where Satan comes to God and says, hey God, can I you know, 
tempt this guy, or can I test this guy, Job? Can I do some bad stuff in his life? And God says, God gives him permission to do it. And in the end, what happens? God ends up being glorified by how Job responds to that, and that God uses that ultimately for good. And so here's the thing. Think about Romans 8.28 or Genesis 50 that talk about how what man meant for evil, God uses for good. He's a redeeming God who causes all things to work together for good for those who love him. And so what it's saying is that's the ultimate humiliation of the forces of evil. That with the forces of evil, they're like a dog on a chain. They're limited by God in what they can do. And even when they are allowed to do things, God uses them against uh, the evil things for which they were intended. In other words, they are complete. This is the utter, greatest act of humiliation, you know, letting you do something and then using that thing against you. And so, uh, no, you are, you are right. Satan is not omniscient. He doesn't know our thoughts. But I do believe that he is a student of human behavior, and I believe that he is not omniscient, or sorry, omnipresent. He's not everywhere at one time, but he does have you know, an army, a legion of, um, of demons at his disposal. So thank you for that question. Very good one. And let's rejoice in the fact that we have victory in Jesus. It looks like we're not going to have time to get to our last caller, who's Lori in Fort Lupton. But I do see her question here, and I would like to answer it just without uh, answering the call. So Lori, hopefully you can hear this. Uh, so it looks like Lori has a son who has left to live with his father. She wants to know how she can uh, talk to her son. He stopped talking to her. Uh, Loria, that's a very difficult situation. I'd like to pray for you here at the end of the show. Um, but I would just encourage you to continue reaching out to your son in any way possible. Uh, continue putting out that olive branch and just seeking to uh, extend kindness and rebuild those relationships. Our hope is in the gospel of Jesus Christ that divisions will be divisions like this will one day be taken away. So let me pray for you. Lori, our Heavenly Father, I pray for Lori. Lord, would you restore her relationship with her son? May she trust in you and look forward to that day when you will take away all divisions. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Calvary Live. God bless you. My name is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church, and I'll be with you again next Monday. Have a great evening. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's Word.